0: Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition.
1: Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, we know the Premier likes to hide from making tough decisions, which is why there is a 17-step process for 61 school boards that will end with a patchwork of vaccination policies across the province. But the government's habit of hiding information has meant that parents, staff, Teachers have been kept in the dark when it comes to knowing the health risks in our schools. This quote from the president of the BCTF, it's unacceptable that over a year and a half into this pandemic, there is still no province-wide consistency in how exposures and clusters in schools are defined and reported, end quote. So will the free premier finally step up and provide the up-to-date notifications in schools that parents and teachers deserve and have been calling for.
0: Minister of Education.
1: Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to
2: the member for the question. I think, as we all understand and agree, the health and safety of everyone in our school system is of primary importance during this third, uh, uh, third school year where, uh, where we are dealing with COVID in our schools. I I, I want to assure parents that, um, as has been the case throughout the pandemic, should their child be at risk of an exposure to COVID in in schools, they will be notified by public health. Parents have to understand that. That is what is happening today, it's what's been happening last month, it's what happened all last year in our school system. Uh, Exposures are defined uh, by the CDC. Uh, as a situation when a person with COVID-19 has had close contact with others during their infectious period. An exposure, importantly, does not mean you are infected with COVID. Uh, A cluster is when public health determines there's a link between two or more individuals with COVID in schools. Those incidents, those potential exposure events, are recorded by public health. They are recorded, in fact, on the, uh, the Health Authority websites. They are accessible. Uh, a stu- uh, students or, or, or staff who have been um, at risk of an exposure are directly contacted by public health. That
1: is what's happening today across our school system.
0: Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental.
1: Well, thank you very much to the Minister, but let's be clear, we continue to hear from across British Columbia that parents don't feel that sense of assurance that the Minister keeps talking about. And it's not just parents, it is staff, It is teachers. In fact, let's look at some statistics. Not mine, but the BC Teachers Federation. And here's what they report. 71% feel that they have not received enough information regarding COVID-19 exposures and the cases in schools and districts. Doesn't sound like the answer the minister gave. 62% feel they haven't received enough information about the quality of ventilation in schools, something we've been asking about since before school actually started. 53% of teachers feel that the cleaning and sanitation in schools is inadequate. Those Those are statistics based on comments from teachers across British Columbia. Hardly a sense of assurance. Let's listen to what Terry Mooring from the BC Teachers' Federation actually said, and I quote, It has become very clear that the information provided and the communication to school communities is not painting an accurate picture. Trust in the system has been broken. End quote. Hardly any sense of assurance. There is concern, there is confusion, there is lack of consistency, and parents and teachers want and deserve answers. Will the premier get up today and provide that desperately needed assurance?
0: Minister of Education.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And I, I thank the member for pointing to, uh, uh, for pointing to concerns raised by, by, by teachers. I, ha- I have to say, it is, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting. Uh, uh, change in, in perspective on members of the BCTF. I think it's quite. I think it's been quite some time since the uh, uh, the members on the other side of the house have actually um, stood up and advocated for us. Something the BCTF has actually said. I might just add, since uh, losing a uh, case in the Supreme Court in what I think was the most uh, remarkably quick verbal. Uh, Opinion issued by the court, but at any rate, um, I, I understand uh, and have, members. in fact, very recently in the in the past few days, met with uh, members of the BCTF, heard uh, their concerns uh, that that were uh, illuminated in their in their survey. I know that school boards, that district staff, that principals are working with their community, are working with families, are working with their members, are working with their occupational health and safety committees. In schools, in school districts throughout the province, to address the very issues uh, that have been raised, we are going to continue to work in collaboration at a provincial level and at a district level as we work through uh, this, this challenging time in the pandemic. And I thank the member for, uh, for, their, for her concern.
0: Member for Surrey South.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Monday, the Minister of Advanced Education's excuse for not enforcing vaccine guidelines at universities was that professors are happy. Well, that response got a failing grade. Dr. Isabella Laba from UBC says, and I quote, I'm not excited, I'm exhausted and burned out, thanks in part to you and your abdication of responsibility, end quote. And UBC's Alma Mater Society says the rollout that was promised for the start of the school year has taken far too long. Mr. Speaker, through you. Has the Premier been skipping class or will he finally listen to concerned professors?
0: <laughs> Minister of Advanced Education.
4: Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and through you to the member, um, I know it has been a very difficult two years as we have pivoted very quickly to during COVID times uh, to virtual learning. Um, It's very understandable that some students, faculty, and staff are still feeling very anxious. And um, feeling comfortable in returning to full uh, on-campus learning is going to be a journey that everyone takes differently. Um, We do have some measures in place and we follow the guidance of the PHO. Uh, We have masks in classrooms, in public indoor spaces, proof of vaccination in uh, student housing and uh, many parts of campus life, such as restaurants, pubs, and ticketed events. And as well, we do have protocols to monitor and respond to outbreaks. Honourable Speaker, um, as I have said before, that there is mechanisms for post-secondary institutions or colleges and universities to be able to Put in um, above and beyond guidelines of what the PHO would like, uh, and they are um, able to work with the public health as well. Thank you.
0: Member yeah. <laughs> for Surrey South, supplemental.
4: Well, thank you.
3: Perhaps the minister hasn't been to the campuses, but there's no checking of vaccine passports. There's no there's no uh, checking of any kind of of safety at the at the universities. So let's do some math for the Minister of Advanced Education. 10 per cent of a 300-person in-person in lecture hall is 30 unvaccinated students, all crammed into close quarters for three hours. People want to know what the, what the rules are and that they're being enforced, and they are not, Mr. Speaker. Derek Sahota with the SFU Teaching Support Staff Union says, quote, there's no actual enforcement and no consequences, end quote. So, Mr. Speaker, why does the Premier think it's fine to cram 30 unvaccinated students into a 300-person lecture hall with no, uh, with no precautions?
0: Minister of Advanced Education.
4: Thank you, Hon. Speaker. and I, I take my job very seriously, and I know that the presidents of our colleges and universities take their job very seriously health and safety of our students, our staff and faculty, everyone who is on our post-secondary campuses are very important, and we have mechanisms in place. Honourable Speaker, as I have uh, previously said, um, post-secondary institutions, those that I have been talking to, have reported that they have over 90% vaccination on campus, and this is something that we should celebrate. But as well, we know that there is more work to do. We need to encourage people to get vaccinated, and we have vaccine clinics on campus to enable staff and students who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated. We have a strong and public-thriving post-secondary institution, and we will continue to keep our students and staff and faculty safe.
0: Leader of the third party.
5: Thank you, honourable speaker. Sultan Lalam means helping house. Sultan Lalam is an addictions recovery centre for residential school survivors and their families, currently based in Nunus Bay. They offer a 40-day residential program grounded in culture and tradition for Indigenous participants who are in long-term recovery. Salton Leylam, I'm excited, is in the process of building their new helping house in the Cowichan Valley. When I met with the Executive Director, Nola Jeffrey this summer, we were surprised to learn from her that they are having to fundraise for their capital budget. The province was set to give $20 million towards restoring places of healing, with southam Laylam earmarked for part of this money, but they haven't seen any yet. And now the Healing House is on the hook for a $5 million funding gap to build their new centre. After a year of promising to expand treatment options, and in the midst of this devastating drug toxicity crisis, an Indigenous-run facility near Duncan is forced to find its own funding to offer a place to heal for survivors of residential schools. My question, honourable speaker, is to the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Why has this government not funded construction for an important place of healing?
0: Mm -hmm. Minister of Mental Health and Addictions.
6: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We are funding the Salton Laylam rebuild in Duncan. It is one of the many projects that the province of British Columbia is very proud to be a partner with First Nations Health Authority. the disproportionate impact of uh, of drug overdose um, and addiction on uh, First Nations people, on all Indigenous people, is uh, front of mind for our government. Um, to that end, we've committed $20 million to the rebuild of of uh, First Nations Healing and Treatment Recovery Centers that were initially built by the federal government, um, which has neglected them. Um, I have been working along with the Minister of Indigenous uh, Reconciliation here in this chamber uh, to encourage the federal government to also partner um, along with uh, the province of British Columbia and uh, First Nations Health Authority so that each three, um, each of the three of us would all be committing $20 million. Absolutely, money has been committed to the South Laylam. Uh, rebuild, and um, and I will uh, um, undertake to let the member know the exact figure, but it's certainly in the um, several million dollars. It is the First Nations Health Authority because our government's commitment is to focus on Indigenous-led solutions that actually administers the funding, but South and has absolutely been assured that the province and FNHA are funding it um, to the order of many millions of dollars, and we are (coughs) encouraging our federal partners to do the same.
0: Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Uh,
5: thank, you, Honourable. thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I'm delighted to hear this, and I'm sure that the Executive Director, Nola Jeffrey, will also be delighted to hear this. I guess my follow-up question will be, uh, can the minister commit, in writing to uh, Ms. Jeffrey what the exact funding from the province will be?
6: Minister. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, I've met several times um, with Sultan laylam uh, Leeds. Uh, I don't think there's any question that their funding is assured, um, and uh, I'll certainly uh, get back to the member with um, with the documentation of that. This is a commitment that was made by my predecessor, uh, Judy Darcy, the First Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, so this is a commitment of some time standing. Um, but while I have the opportunity, um, I'll indicate also Um, In addition to the $20 million that um, our budget has committed to the rebuild of First Nations Treatment and Recovery Centres, we've also put $20 million into Indigenous-led addiction recovery services, also $24 million um, over three years to support First Nations Health Authority respond to the overdose crisis, and also $1.13 million to Métis Nation of B.C. also for overdose prevention. Thank you.
0: House Leader of the Official Opposition.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As a, as a relatively new House Leader still in this place, I often find myself looking through Hansard and, and trying to reflect on what previous House Leaders did, either in opposition or in government. And It was uh, surprising to me and I was thankful to find that on October 7, 2015, uh, the now House Leader for Government, who was the House Leader for Opposition at the time, reaffirmed rules around question period for this House around how questions can be asked. And and I'll quote very briefly, I would draw your attention to the standing orders, McMinn's fourth edition, 41A, page 141, Erskine May's edition 23, page 345, Beaucheney's sixth edition, page 119, that deal with questions to private members. The authority states that the only time you can ask to a private member is a chair of a committee. And in fact, that was upheld and questions were asked by the then House Leader uh, for questions to a chair of the committee. So, Mr. Speaker, on June 16, 2021, this Assembly agreed that a statutory special committee be appointed to review the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. My question is for the chair of that committee. On August 23, the chair of that committee said, and I quote at their meeting, we will reconvene at some point, likely in the fall, end quote. So, to the chair of the committee, the member for Port Moody Coquitlam, can the chair tell this House when the committee will meet next?
0: Uh, Members, um, the question is in order, but the member from Port Moody Coquitlam has no obligation to stand up and answer. If he doesn't want to, if he feels comfortable, he can answer or we can ask a minister. Member.
8: Well, thank you for the question. This is a bit of a surprise. Um, I actually was... Could could, I, could you please clarify the question one more time before I, before I answer? I want to make sure I answer correctly. It. It. When are we um, meeting next? Okay, take, take a seat. Take your seat, yes. member. The, uh, the committee will, um, will meet. Uh, at the current plan, as I understand it, is. Uh, We we will meet within the next few weeks, Um, and the committee is dedicated to reviewing the the uh, the Freedom of Information and Privacy Act, and uh, and we will we will uh, look forward to doing that work. Thank you.
0: House Leader of the Official Opposition, oh, that's be... supplemental.
1: Well that that's 16,
0: Members, it's <laughs> always first. Member tried his best, and he answered it, now next, next question, supplemental.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And it's unfortunate the government finds this a laughing matter, but it is a very important statutory committee uh, that the member chairs, uh, doing very important work or trying to do very important work, and one would hope—I mean, we saw the, the attempts at ministers to get the member to not answer the question, one would hope they're not trying to direct a statutory committee's work at the same time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Seems to have struck a nerve there. Too bad they didn't have this much to say when the bill was up for debate. <laughs> so, Mr. Speaker, on October 20th, BC's Information and Privacy Commissioner, Michael McAvoy, wrote a letter that raises serious concerns about the ability, his ability to protect and advance the access to privacy rights of British Columbia. Again, my question to the committee chair, when the information will when when and will the information and privacy commissioner be called to appear before the committee.
0: Member for Port Moody, Kurtulum.
8: Question under advisement, and get back to you. Thank you.
0: Member for for Abbotsford West,
7: Uh, thanks, uh, Honourable Chair, and uh, my question is also for the member for uh, Port Moody, the uh, chair of the committee, and. uh, follows on the authority to uh, pose questions about the uh, the agenda for that committee. Uh, can the uh, can the chair, the member for Port Moody, uh, uh, indicate uh, has the uh, the special committee placed on its agenda uh, consideration of whether or not the premier's office office should be subject to uh, FOI regulations?
8: Member for Port Moody. Thank you for the question. We have only met one time. We will meet again as a committee to discuss our agenda, and we will, uh, at that point, determine what our our work plan will be. Thank you.
0: Member for Eversford West, supplemental. Members.
7: Uh, Member for Absol th- West has the floor. Uh, thank you, uh, Hon. Chair. Can the uh, chair of the committee uh, undertake to this House that the uh, committee will be called to convene uh, prior to the uh, final votes on Bill 22?
0: Member for Port Moody
8: Thank you. As I said earlier, uh, we will be meeting in the next few weeks. I cannot give you uh, a, a, an exact answer on the date we're going to meet yet, but I will take your question under advisement. Thank you.
0: Member for West Vancouver, see the sky.
9: Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, Mr. Speaker, steelhead are close to extinction in the interior of British Columbia. Only 58 fish are expected to spawn in the Thompson watershed and 27 fish in the Chilcotin. But there's no Provincial Species Risk Act, no federal SARA designation, and government, ironically enough, is still advertising steelhead fishing on the tourism website. Question to the Premier Does the Premier intend to take strong action on Steelhead, or is he happy enough to let Fraser River Steelhead go extinct? Minister of Forest.
10: Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and and I really appreciate the question. Thank you very much. Our province is committed to the goal of reversing the decline of the steelhead and ensure the recovery of the wild steelhead populations. Uh, The province has increased coordination between the different ministries involved with the fisheries and fish habitat and has also worked towards building relationships with First Nations groups to work collaboratively on solutions uh, for steelhead. Um, Our province has invested in increased enforcement of steelhead regulation as well as investment Investing and habitat-related projects, such as removing blockages and improving fish, pass- fish passage in steelhead watersheds. I know this is a, a significant interest to many of the members in this House, and we are continuing to work on this issue.
0: Member for Vancouver, supplemental.
9: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, Mr. Speaker, it's not just the opposition which is sounding the alarm. Just last month, the Minister of State for Lands and uh, Natural Resource Operations said government was failing. On September 20th, he said, quote, it's in a crisis state from my perspective and we are not doing enough, end quote. So the, the Interior Steelhead Action Plan and Activities Report from August of this year describes the plan. Here's the plan. Priorities include updating uh, strategic plans, so they're going to update some plans, policies for steelhead, monitoring, uh, continuing to monitor steelhead returns, continuing to support the transformation of non-selective fisheries to selective, although we don't see a lot of that happening, assessing management interventions, including fish culture, and improving transparency, communication, and information available regarding interior Fraser Steelhead, which is a bit ironic given the uh, freedom of information situation that we're facing these days. But I ask you, Mr. Speaker, does that sound like action? No, uh, actually, I, I don't believe it does. It sounds like waiting, watching and hoping. When, uh, to, through you, Mr. Speaker, to the, to, the, to the Premier, when does the Premier intend to take real action to save this iconic BC fish?
10: Minister of Forest and Lands. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and the province continues to explore the different options, such as hatcheries and other interventions, to determine Members, when they are feasible the answer, and please. when they are appropriate. And also having those really important discussions with First Nations, who are also looking into these issues. In the longer term, we are working to increase these populations back to their previous run sizes, increasing their resiliency and ability to support fisheries, all with the goal of reversing the decline of the steelhead.
0: Number for Nicola.
11: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The steelhead have almost disappeared, but the Premier's promise of legislation to protect them has vanished entirely. On November 21, 2019, the Minister of Environment stood in this House and said, quote, it is in my mandate and has been since day one to develop BC Species at Risk legislation, end quote. But I have here the minister's current mandate letter. There is no mention of legislation to protect steelhead. Zero. It's gone extinct. (laughs) To the Premier, why did he break his promise to protect an iconic species like steelhead?
0: Minister of Environment.
12: Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Thank you to the members for the question. Uh, I know that uh, the issue of steelhead and all uh, endangered species is of uh, critical importance to British Columbians. We're taking a number of measures uh, in this government to look at the variety of ways in which we can uh, protect and enhance biodiversity. Uh, the member is correct that uh, a specific reference to species at risk legislation is no longer in my mandate letter but what is in my mandate is to work with other ministers to take action to protect uh, biodiversity and species we have been in a variety of meetings with the federal government. We've established uh, uh, the Canada-BC nature uh, agreement, and we are uh, looking forward to working on that with the new federal minister and, uh, and completing that to put in place a framework through which we can work with Indigenous people and all British Columbians to put in place the measures that are required to protect biodiversity and species at risk.
0: Member for Straighton Nicholas, supplemental.
11: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 57 fish. We could name them. But guess what? This two term two-term government hasn't filled, fulfilled its promise. The minister said two years ago, and I quote We will bring in the act that we're working on. It's in this mandate. The Premier likes to make big promises. He just never delivers. UBC conservation scientist Tara Martin had this to say, and I quote, Nothing came of it. Essentially, the province walked away from their commitment with no statement as to why. I've said in this house before, steelhead are being managed into extinction. Will the Premier admit he made a promise to protect steelhead And then he broke it.
0: Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy.
12: Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, It's been an honour to be in this position for uh, four years and a couple of months. Uh, I'd like to note uh, that the member opposite uh, and uh, many of her colleagues were part of a government that had four terms. Sixteen years. No species at risk legislation. Members appointed order please order. Appointed a committee to review measures to address species at risk. And guess how many of the recommendations of that committee were implemented? Zero. 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 Honourable Speaker, we continue to work on the issue of protecting biodiversity, whether it's through uh, the plans to implement the strategic review of old growth, whether it's through various actions that we've taken to restore habitat and watersheds. We will continue to work with Indigenous people and people around British Columbia and the federal government to create a workable framework that protects species at risk in British Columbia, steelhead caribou, marbled merlet, northern goshawk, and others. Thank you. Member for Delta South. Thank you, Mr.
13: Speaker. Well, Mr. Speaker, it seems everyone and their dog is waiting for care in British Columbia. BC needs 100 veterinarians per year for the next five years, but the Minister of Advanced Education has refused to do so. Corey Van Haft of the Society of BC Veterinarians says, and I quote, In 2018, we started asking for the Ministry of Advanced Education to fund those 20 seats at WCVM. And since 2018, we've been told no. And since 2018, we've been refused a meeting with the minister, end quote. Mr. Speaker, veterinary student Madison O'Dow says, and I quote, despite having the support of the Minister of Agriculture and the Chief Veterinary Officer, the Advanced Education Minister isn't interested in supporting the education of additional veterinary students, end quote. Mr. Speaker, it seems the Minister of Agriculture can't convince her own colleague, or maybe she can't even get a meeting with her, just like the stakeholders, Mr. Speaker, will the Premier pick a side and choose to support more veterinarians in British Columbia? Minister of Advanced
0: Education.
4: Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you so much to the Member across for um, asking this very important question. Um, we are. My, uh, I, I am working with my uh, partner, ministry, uh, sorry, Minister of Agriculture, in, in this very important issue. We understand that there's a shortage of vets in British Columbia, and it's very important that pets um, and as livestock owners um, want this service, that they have it uh, quickly. The Western College of Western Medicine, um, Every year in British Columbia, we have 80 uh, 80 students there. And to answer the member's question, we have uh, increased the capacity to 10 additional British Columbian students in the college. Thank you.
0: That ends the question period.